Amen. So I'm going to do my typical thing and back up to verse 1 and uh, read. I'll try to spare a lot of comment on uh, these first five verses, but just to set it in context again within the chapter before we move forward into 6, we're looking at a number, as the New King James Version has labeled it, various laws of morality. I think that the, the significant thing to recognize about this so very often, uh, even Christians that I talk to have a mentality like, well, this is a very ancient book, and, you know, how much application does it have for today? You know, we're really looking for something that's more relevant. I hear that word all the time. You know, my head explodes. You know, I just, this is the relevant book. These are the relevant topics and the subjects. And God doesn't miss, right? He's not writing through these people thousands of years ago. And now we get into these modern times and God's acting like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that we were going to be dealing with subject matter such as this. Yeah. No, no, it's contained here. And he's addressing it. And it's extremely, don't, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not trying to be insulted. It's extremely short-sighted to think that the Bible doesn't have reference and application to today and the things that we need to know. So so here we are hearing God's word. Verse 1, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it, then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey, and so you do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. The application I put in that discussion was the group of teens years ago finding the large lobster pot full of lobster you know and i pointed out there was a group of us that were praying we would find the lobsterman that it belonged to so we could restore return his paycheck you know return his investment and there was another group that was praying for butter you know (laughs) and and and, you know you know and they weren't sold on that idea of but but you know you find something and it's like oh this is you know finders keepers sort of attitude that's not scriptural you know it doesn't even matter if you know the person your job as a believer is to protect the integrity and restore uh, if you can our culture does not function that way it doesn't uh, work that way so we need to be different you shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them you shall surely help him lift them up and and darn it put the spare tire on his car you know, pull over and help. You know, the Lord wants us to have this mind of uh, others-centered thinking for. I mean, what what is the whole thrust of Jesus as a person here on the planet? To be the servant of everyone. To be mindful and caring uh, in the circumstances. So <clears throat> then we ended with a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garments, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. We talked about the term abomination, how repulsive. You know, it invokes a violent, literally, forgive me, but a violent vomiting 
uh, of reaction is, is the Lord's, you know, um, reaction to such a thing. Uh, not to say, right, cultures have different dress, you know, different things, have, but the idea of there shouldn't be a confusion of gender. Okay, that, that when you look upon a man, you should be able to identify man. You look upon a woman, you should be able to easily identify woman. You know, there's going to be, you know, some cultures, men wear longer hair and earrings. You know, you know, but you can identify those are the men and those are the ladies. Uh, I mean, think about how confused our culture is right now about this. You know, <clears throat> my poor dear wife going through nursing school right now. And they're training. It's so Hippocratic oath. It's so hypocritical because they have to have all of this political sensitivity in literally addressing the medical needs of a man who's expressing himself as a woman through that whole mindset. But just underneath that, in the training, they're having to really settle to the idea of you are treating a man, not a woman. Yeah, you go, of course. Literally, you know, you cannot treat a man, you know, with, uh, you, know, you know, the estrogen side of things. Uh, and yet, you know, the medical community is basically like, pretend you are. Pretend you are, while you simultaneously absolutely can't. It's absurd, right? And, and I'll say again, a lot of people sometimes in our culture today get offended with me about this. Okay, you are male to the molecular level. That's, that's not my opinion. That's the truth of the matter. You are female to the molecular level. And, and to try, right? How, how much are we hearing right now about the science deniers, right? We're the science deniers. But the truth is we're holding to the science, right? And Paul warned, right? Wasn't it Timothy? He warned that, that said you, you don't want to get caught up in the pseudoscience, that which is commonly believed by the culture. It's completely wrong on so many levels. You know, back to the specific subject for the church. It was crazy, you know, Every every phase of culture has a confused youth. You know what I'm saying? You know the, the hippies, the you know you just go through the different generations, Generation X, and all the different you know cultures. The youth, the youth gets confused, right? Especially when the larger the percentage of the culture that is fatherless, the greater the confusion. Okay, and, you know, and and within the culture, nineties, you know, I were I was working youth ministry and then you know young men start showing up to youth group and they're wearing particularly girls shirts they were really fascinated with girls shirts they're going to the stores and going to the girls sections like the more embroidery and the more you know and now i sound like the cantankerous old curmudgeon you know what i'm saying just, what are you doing with the you know i just there, there's a need for guidance. There is a need for guidance. There's a militant homosexual population that's destroying our culture. And they victimize young men and women 
who demonstrate that they have an instability. All, all you got to do is put out there, you know, some signal that says, not really sure what's going on. <laughs> and they zero right in an attack. Capitalize it and destroy it. You know, people get upset with me because I talk about homosexuality in that way, right? <clears throat> Just like any other sexual sin. I, I, I hate to embarrass us all, but like probably most of us in this room, uh, Christ has had to deliver us from sexual sin of one nature or another. Homosexuality is no greater. Okay? I will say this. Homosexuality is deadly. Deadly. Every time. People, people automatically go, right, well, oh, AIDS or... No, no, no. It's deadly in that it doesn't produce children. It kills whatever culture it gets inside because the culture doesn't procreate. It's very, very dangerous. Very dangerous for the individuals. And then there are all the other aspects that we could talk about. The physical dangers of homosexual sex. I, I take this into mind. I've, I've said this before. Uh, forgive me for my repetition. But, you know, we're catering to this. Catering, like not people talk about tolerance. We're not tolerating, we're catering to this in the youth. Okay? When when the high school is saying, right, LBGTQ club, wait, wait a minute. You're literally saying, all right, we got a chess club. All of these nerds love chess. And they can all and the backgammon club, and I'll go hang out with all of those guys, you know, and the soccer club and the football team and the LBGTQ. You just made an organization that is based entirely upon, listen to me, the method that children are going to have sex with one another. That's really messed up. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, are, are we going to start a swingers club in, in the high school? The children, we're going to, why are we even promoting the concept of sexuality amongst children? Okay, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sexuality, its purpose is partly pleasure, but that's within marriage. And the end result is children. Thank you very much. Are these children ready to, right? So let's start the parenting club. No. No. They won't, right? Let's start the marriage club, you know, for junior hires. Hear the absurdity in what our culture is doing, right? I'll go back, right? Kinsey, right? Everybody, Alfred Kinsley, you know, oh, you know, father of the sexual revolution. The guy was a pedophile. He started his supposed research by interviewing the most heinous cri sexual criminals in Europe. And when he had collected his data, quote-unquote, from that research, he compiled those statistics saying that was the sexual norm of men within the culture. He was interviewing rapists and murderers and compiling the data that he got from those interviews and formulating it 
as the cultural, normal, sexual appetite of males. That is the research that was used to legalize pornography here in the U.S. They literally took Kinsey's compilations and, and went to the Supreme Court and used his statistical analysis to argue for the legalization of the culture you're now living in. When we read this and so much of our community just flares up and says, oh, how, you know, the scripture and Bible and hatred. And, no, not hatred. Profound love. Profound love. Christ recognizes the prison that sin creates and he wants to deliver everyone from those clutches. This, this is a message of love you're reading right here. This is not arrogance. This is not condemnation. This is not hatred. Is it hatred when we want to deliver the heroin addict? Right? Clearly not. It's going to destroy them. So isn't transgenderism. So, you know, okay. <clears throat> I said I wasn't going to do this, and here I am doing it. <clears throat> so here's the thing, you guys, okay. Johns Hopkins <clears throat> started, they, they were the ones that started the surgical process of gender change. Okay, so, so the very first procedures, surgical procedures to change a man to a woman and a woman to men were conducted by them. And they were also the first to force their entire medical community to stop saying they will not do these procedures anymore. The rest of the nations, the rest of the world's medical community continued on. Johns Hopkins did the research, published and said, it is medical malpractice and we will not do this anymore. Why? Why? Because more than 50% of the people that they conducted these surgical changes on committed suicide within the first year. And their psychologists on their staff said that's because you're not dealing with a physical problem. You're dealing with a mental problem. They have, they have what is referred to as body dysphoria. And you are trying to fix a mental problem with a surgical application. And that's why the suicide rate is so high. Okay, this is John Hopkins, man. The leaders in this understanding, they even went as far as dumbing it down for their own staff to say, look, if a young woman comes in for treatment to you, she's already malnourished has the clear signs of organ failure due to malnutrition, weighs between 89 and 100 pounds, and is saying to you, I'm fat. You know you have a patient who's suffering from anorexia, which is in fact a body dysphoria, right? She's skeletal thin, and she thinks she's fat. The irresponsibility would be the same as if you said, okay, we'll do liposuction for you. We'll do a surgical procedure 
to cure your mental illness. You think you're fat? Let's do some physical work on you and get rid of more fat. <clears throat> you think you're you know, a woman? You think you're a man? We'll, we'll do a surgical procedure on you and fix that. John Hopkins, man. Why, why aren't people? Oh, you wouldn't believe the backlash that came to them. You know, everybody was standing up and waving the flag and cheering them when they began doing the procedures. When they announced the results and reversed their position and declared to the medical community how wrong it was, oh, they were Nazis. They were evil. They were wicked. You know, they, they probably had derived their research from other you know, wicked organizations. You know, it's definitely the Christian influence that has turned their minds. It's crazy what our culture is doing. So, I said I wasn't going to dwell. I've dwelt long enough. Let's move on to verse 6. The culture needs to know the truth of God's word. And we lovingly need to help. Do not attack. Do saints. Do not attack people. Right? Are you going to go attack an anorexic girl? Over her thinness, right? You're going to love her. You're going to get to know her. You're going to do everything you can to eat, help her eat French fries. You know, I don't know. Just, right? I mean, just whatever. Just, you got, you're right? You're, you're going to get involved. Get involved. If your neighbor is transgender, love them. Help them. You know, do what you can. Be smart. Be wise. You know, there are some dangers there, but love them. So, continuing in verse 6, seems out of place. There's great application here. If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You know, shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself. And it may be well with you that you may prolong your days. Okay, listen. This is a completely agricultural culture that this is being delivered to. And when this is explained to them, there's a whole bunch that's sort of not in our mind, that is in their mind. And they hear this explanation and they go, got it, makes sense. If you're going to take the young, right, which it says you can do, that's not like, well, we were going to have a big meal, but I guess we'll just have chicken nuggets. That's not what this is. You're going to, they're useless to you as food. You're going to have to raise them. You're going to have to nurture them. You're going to have to care for them. You leave, right, that which can produce more for you. So today... The modern explanation for us would be financial. This is what this is. This is invest in your future. That's what God just said. D don't, right? Oh, you just, you, you, you weren't expecting it. You got overtime. You got a big paycheck. Don't spend it all. That's what the Lord just said. Do, do impulse buying? No, don't do it. God is literally saying, giving financial advice here. Slow down. And he doesn't even say, take the normal little bit and spend it off. He says, invest the small amounts and let them grow. <laughs> right? 
You get the big windfall and your temptation is to just take the whole thing and go on vacation. The Lord is saying, no, slow down, slow down. Leave the giant nest egg in place. Let it continue to produce for you. Take the small portion and reinvest it in yourself. Maybe you're going to spend it fairly soon, but reinvest it in such a way. You know, were you going to go to the movies? Were you going to, how about, did you, did you, have you already bought your snow tires? You know what I'm saying? Like, rather than just blowing it, right? Take the small birds, roast them over fire, have one quick meal. No, 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 no. Grow them up. D do smart things. Impulse buying is one of the most dangerous things that Christians do. Just, oh, opportunity, boom, uh, now I got nothing. Yeah, that happens to everyone. Everyone that functions that way ends up in that same condition. You know, as a young man, <clears throat> that was, you know, one of the first things I had to learn. New father, new husband, everything's my responsibility. Impulse buy. Darn, I have nothing. How did that happen? You, you didn't plan ahead. This is it's a very simple thing the Lord is saying. Be cautious. You know, one of the worst enemies of this right now is online buying. So simple. You just clickety, clickety, click. You know, didn't even take your wallet out. And, uh, you know, then you later can't and you don't have and just, yeah, the boxes start arriving. But, you know, the, the quick spend, you have to be cautious It'll, it'll ruin you in the future. Hear what he said. What, what did he say at the end? What, what, what was his summary, right? That you may prolong your days, right? Longevity. This is what he's saying. Caution. Caution is what he's encouraging. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. <clears throat> rooftops to this day in Israel, almost always flat, right? Very little rainfall. Uh, what does they design the roofs? Uh, often uh, they have um, like barrels, like cisterns. So the, the runoff that comes off the roof runs down and it's captured in a barrel. And they use that for their gardening around the house. Capture the water. Rooftops are flat. And they usually have an outside stairwell, and the rooftops are like the patio, okay? Or <clears throat> you might even think of them as the backyard. If you have neighbors over and you're going to barbecue, it's done on the rooftop where it's flat. The parapet is a half wall. You are responsible to build a half wall around the top of your roof so that you don't invite the neighbors over for barbecue and then somebody steps off the edge and you've got to pay the price for that. You're responsible for that. So the greater picture is you're responsible for the safety of your property. There's a very simple prospect in this. Now, our culture's gone all weird with that, right? You know, if the thief is on your rooftop and he's trying to break into your house and falls through your skylight and you know, kills himself on the cutting board that was on your counter, you're, you're at fault. I'm, I'm literally describing a literal case that took place. It's absolutely stupid. Our culture has lost its mind. Okay. <clears throat> this is God saying to you and I, 
again, we need to think about others. We need to be cautious with that which is ours, uh, what we are handling, the things we are doing. Um, <clears throat> so how many people have you seen in your lane driving straight at you? And they go by, and as they go by, they don't even realize they just about killed you. They're just looking like this at their text. Consider, fellow Christian, your responsibility in all of these settings. Uh, we often, as Christians, you know, say things in a very cavalier way, you know, about the world and the environment. And, you know, we go on and on. It's all going to burn in the end anyway. And we do relay to the world a sort of uncaring attitude. We need to behave responsible. We, we honestly should be some of the most responsible people as believers in the world. Okay, you're secure. Your future's secure, right? <clears throat> Look, I did tree work for years. You usually get a phone call to take down a tree when it's been dead for three years. <laughs> Should have come down four years ago as it was dying, and now you know limbs are falling off in the yard, and they want you to climb up, you know, in amongst the power lines and remove this tree from their household. Well, <clears throat> um, I've never uh, had a fear of heights. Uh, I got in big trouble when I was six. Um, a massive poplar tree in front of our house on Sunset Drive in Essex Junction, Vermont. And uh, as soon as I could jump and reach that first branch, I started climbing. And I didn't even tell my mom. Like, nobody knew that I was climbing these trees. I mean, to the top. You know, just hanging on to one little branch. So never had, you know, I got in big trouble because I had climbed up through the power lines that ran right next to the tree. And I'm now above the power lines in the tree when my mom calls out, you know, well, you know, I just yelled out, I'm right here. <clears throat> there was a big panic involved in that. You know, grew up, started doing tree work. Now I'm a believer. So I just have the mindset of, hey, I'm making really good money and I'm not, you know, bothered by this. So I just do. Why? Because, well, I mean, honestly, if I die, I just enter the presence of the Lord. And that turns into a gentleman saying, hey, you're pretty good and you're not worried about that. Uh, I build towers. Would you like to come work for me? And so I do that. And, you know, now we're hundreds and thousands of feet in the air and, you know, no big deal. Doesn't bother me at all. That's my own person, okay? But if I'm doing things that are dangerous, that affect, think about this, the life of a non-believer, right? You die, you go straight into the presence of the Lord. You do something dumb and kill them, they enter an eternity separated from him, okay? You want to jump out of the airplane, parachuting because you know the Lord, the guy next to you that doesn't know the Lord, like take a minute and pray with him. <laughs> there, there are people all around us and we need to consider them. Right? Maybe you're not grasping what I'm you know, trying to relay in this abstract way. 
our behavior, if it literally could threaten someone else's life, you need to consider their eternity in the prospect. There's very serious consequences to what people do. And we live in a culture that's, you know, a bunch of adrenaline junkies who don't really care about these things. We need to, as believers, be concerned for these things. Like, you know, if I die, you know, it's not, the consequences are not as big for someone that doesn't know the Lord. So when you build a house, when you do things, you have to protect. You shall not sow your vineyard, verse 9, with different kinds of seed, <clears throat> lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. Okay. <clears throat> God's not overly concerned about hybrid plants. Okay. What he's concerned about is the diminishing of seed. Okay. There is a, a result that occurs sometimes of infertility. You, you do crossbreeding even of plants. And <clears throat> if you're watching the productivity go down, God is saying you have the potential here to damage your harvesting. Keep things pure for the purpose of fruitfulness. That's a very broad, broad spectrum of picture. Now I want to address interracial marriage with this because people do drag this over there. The Lord isn't saying that at all. <clears throat> That's a completely false concept. Interracial marriage. God, God promotes it. Promotes it. Okay? For the people that struggle with this concept, in the locations where God, even in the next chapter, talks about not intermarrying with certain cultures, he's talking about the spiritual corruption. The spiritual corruption. They worship pagan gods and even murder their newborn children. I don't want you behaving like that. Don't, don't intermingle with them because your worship, your religion will become corrupt and you'll become idolaters like them. That's the only reason God does that. He tells us throughout the scripture, there's only one race. There's only one race. The human race. There's only one blood. That's it. Oh, this is God's word on it. Whatever our culture may have imprinted upon the minds of people, some have even used the Bible improperly, manipulated, said and taught things that are completely false. There's, there's only one race. It's the human race. We have all descended from Adam. And we bottlenecked again at Noah. You know what I'm saying? That we, we are all the same. It's, it's really a corrupt thing. Here's, here's a thought, okay? Uh, there is evolution in the sense that you can take, you know, the Malmute and reduce it to the Chihuahua, okay? You just keep breeding smaller and less and more angry and eventually, you know, Chihuahua is the end result of what you do. <clears throat> You can't ever take Chihuahua and breed back up to Malmute because the DNA information has been lost. I say that because, okay, our black brothers and sisters have more DNA than us. We've been bred down. 
less and less, right? So, you know, if you want to do inferior, superior, realistically, they got more going on for them than we do. You know, the, the, a lot of the problems and the things we have are because of that elimination of things. They have more melanin in their skin. They have more aspects of human DNA in certain cases, in certain cases, than we do. You, you can say, <coughs> realistically, that genetically, uh, Caucasian is inferior. There's, there's information that has been lost. You know, to what degree? I'm not sure. I'm not going to try to, you know, divide up all of that. I just really want us to dwell on the fact that this whole thing of racism is is a sinful creation of humanity, right? And I th I think I'm pretty sure that the source of that is Lucifer himself, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's an enemy of the human race, and he wants to kill us all. And if he can convince one group to kill the other group, he just dances with glee and encourages the process. The greater love of the human race and human life, very important. God is saying here, in this regard, that the mixing of food source seeds has the potential to diminish your harvest. So keep things as pure as you possibly can. There's a thought in there for us. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. And you think, well, <laughs> why not? <clears throat> well, because the, the ox is massive. And the donkey is small. And you're going to create conflict between these two. That is going to create problems for you in the plowing. You're much better. Well, two animals, I can do more. No, you can't. Okay. Uh, what kind of application does that have today? It certainly does have that. And, and the next verses give this. But how about just the concept of labor? Right? Put the incredibly organized, really smart guy with the incredibly irresponsible new worker. You're going to drive somebody crazy. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's going to blow a gasket somewhere along the way. Equally yoked. Those that work well together. Think about that within marriage and being equally yoked. You know, the, the concept of what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 14 to 18 about not being unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Uh, within marriage, that's really treacherous. Really treacherous. It's actually, when Paul writes that, the greater thrust is business, is what he's talking about. You, you interlock yourself with somebody in business who is an unbeliever, you have the potential there to create massive problems. You almost certainly are always going to. I'll just give you an example. I have a friend who the Lord opened up an opportunity in a very unique area of work that no one else was doing. He and I have massive conversations about it. 
he ends up developing this thing to the nth degree and wow, the prosperity just starts to flow in. He's way ahead of the curve in this whole concept in business. And I don't see him for a while. And he comes back around and he tells me, I'm right in the process of expanding tremendously. I've got another whole section of this I never saw before. I'm, I'm, I'm going out of the country with this. This thing is going to be unbelievably big. And I'm in the middle of like, hooray, praise God, when he tells me that how he's doing it is he's brought on a completely ungodly investor. And this man is going to be a prominent business partner in what the Lord is giving him. And I just fall apart. And I'm saying, guy, you understand that has the potential to completely destroy everything you've built? That person has already already what I know of that person. They have a reputation of being a cutthroat business person. Well, why would you want to take a very godly thing the Lord has given you and given you massive provision through and turn around and pull in somebody who's completely ungodly into the picture? It, it, look, I have no way of predicting the future, right? It might turn out okay, but it has a massive potential that you would lose every blessing that the Lord has given you in the circumstance. And we talked about, look, let's, let's, let's think about the things we know about this person and the way they've behaved in business and the things that we've seen. And we go through a list of bad reputation and, and he's now... And then he, he confesses to me, well, it's actually too late. I've already, I've already interlocked myself. And I was just like, wow. Tragic. Tragic when people do this. Really tragic. You, you want to be very, very careful, right? Because Lucifer, the enemy of your soul, will sneak right up and provide you with what seems like a, you know, an opportunity is nothing more than a temptation. Doesn't look that way from the outside. All you can see is the glistening. And oh, what a wonderful opportunity. You know, and other if you talk to other people, you know, they notice the teeth on the bear trap. You know what I'm saying? Right, this is why the scripture tells us that we wage war through the multitude of counsel. Right? Ladies, testify for me in the room. When God said to Adam, it is not good that he is alone. Your advice is really valuable. You know, we do need to be interlocked with people of like mind, of like strength. Right? You don't put the donkey with the ox. You put the ox with the ox. Right? You put the husband with the wife, with, with equal strength, equal understanding, same degree of pull. These things need to happen. And I would ask you very graciously, ladies, to consider also the wisdom of your husbands. Okay. My wife, so pure, crazy, you know, you'd be staring at an axe murderer. And she'd be like, I think he's just misunderstood. You know. 
you know, and everyone else can see the problem. You know, I have to be there to protect her from certain things because she's just so nice, so nice. You know, there are other times where I'm pushing ahead in situations and she has to sort of grab my ear and pull me aside and say, are you looking at any of these details? And I'm like, I didn't even notice there were details. You know, I got my head down. I'm pushing forward. Let's go. We need one another, right? The, the differences are really, really good. We need to celebrate these differences. And I just had this conversation when we were doing the preparations with some of the people here that were working. It, because, right? Okay, we'll just talk to the men in the room. Women are ludicrous, are they not? You know, you ladies can all be offended right now. I don't care. I'm just talking to the men. They're, they're, okay, now ladies, men are stupid, are they not? Right? <clears throat> when we work together as believers and we respect, respect those differences, okay? Ox, this terminology. My, my wife and I have... So forgive me for being so open. Uh, we have pet names for one another. I, I call her Kitty because, like a cat, she loves the sunshine. Just you know, she'll like move everything in the house to get a chair right in the window in order to just sit there and like do homework and just be in the sunlight. You know, she got a few things like that about her that have caused me to call her Kitty. She just she's like a cat in a lot of ways. Uh, she calls me Ox. Because Proverbs says, where there is no ox, right, the barn is clean. <laughs> and that same proverb says, but by the ox, much work is done. Okay? Um, you know, my daughters made one of these little videos for the internet uh, where it, like, alters their voice. And, and Rebecca, my daughter, sounds like a man, <clears throat> and she's playing me. She's got some of my shirt on and hat, and she's she walks into this closet and just starts ripping everything out, flinging it on the floor, and you know goes into another room and she's dumping out a tool bag everywhere. And now she's out in my. She, they did this while I'm not home. They made this video, and, and now she's out in my shed, and there's just stuff flying out of the shed, and she steps out of the shed with the, the empty tool bag and yells, babe, where's my roundhouse wrench? You know, and she's making fun of the fact that I will do that. Uh, I'll be in a job and I need something really bad right now. And I'm just mad that I put it somewhere and it's not there. So then I just tear through everything and leave this like wake of wreckage behind me till I have it. And I go back and I do the thing where there's no walks. <laughs> The barn is clean, but by the ox, much work is done. Okay. You know, the, the, the differences, the differences, the profound difference between personalities can work together. They can work together under the gracious work of God to pull in the same direction, to have the same strength. Lori and I are very different. Those of us, you know, those of you especially that know us, uh, we're very well matched, and we pull hard in the same direction. 
and we work together very well. Uh, there, there, there is a gr much greater, right? Listen, these farmers understood the whole explanation when they hear this. You don't put the you don't put the ox and the donkey and try to plow, and they're like, yeah, yeah, oh, hey, you know, the differences of strength. They need to be complementary. Things need to work together. You you need to take. This statement right here. This is a law of God. A law of God. This is a spiritual principle. Okay? This isn't just some quaint, you know, all these little pictures I've painted here. You can't just say, oh, that's kind of colorful, and move on. You need to take this into your person and say, okay, now where do I use that? How does this work? What do I do with this? You know, as a teacher, right? One of the things I learned is, you know, special needs students, you know, they, they just learn different, some of them. Well, sometimes certain teachers only teach one way, right? They're very effective at teaching that way. Ox-like, <laughs> heavy load. Other student, maybe even stubborn like mule interlocked with ox like teacher not wise not wise and it's my job as an administrator to say right my ultimate goal is how am i going to educate that child right i want the fruitfulness in their life in the end that's what i want so so i have to think about this process you know you know where i notice that most in myself <laughs> i teach one way one way and there's a whole bunch of stu my students that don't learn that way. So I have to impart them to other people who can help them learn. So I've beat that dead donkey long enough. Let's move on. <clears throat> you shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Now I'll just go a totally different direction for a moment here. I bet you've probably run into Christians that get hyper-legalistic. They might say things like, hey, I noticed you don't go to church on Saturday. I've noticed that you eat bacon. I've noticed that you drink coffee with caffeine in it. And they act like all of these religious rules are what make us acceptable to God. So you need to start doing this stuff if you want to call yourself a Christian, you know. They act like they're better, they're more accepted by God. Okay, let me just back up to what makes us acceptable to God. The grace of God. And that's it. Right? Faith. Through grace. That's, that's how we're acceptable to God, is by his forgiveness, by his kindness, by his grace. That's how, that's how you're acceptable to God. When these guys get going on that whole thing, whatever it is, right? There's a few different brands and they're all caught up in the, I do a bunch of special things that make me acceptable to God. I, I quickly go right to this and say, so what are your clothes made of? Because usually you're going to find out that they've got kind of, you know, a, a polyester cotton blend usually, you know, got some spandex with the because if you're going to start obeying the law, then you've got to obey all of the law. 
If you think you're going to find yourself acceptable to God by obeying the law, I follow the law, and therefore I'm acceptable to God. Really? But you got a lot of polyester on. You know, they, these people that act that way so very often, they've, they, very often they haven't even looked at the law. They've just got a few things that they've assigned and sort of created their own law. And this is what they're, and then they're going to look down their noses at everybody else and say, you know, because you're not doing the things I do, you're not acceptable to God. Don't ever buy into that. Don't ever buy into that. This, this is a very simple thing the Lord is saying to the nation of Israel. And here, more than anything, as weird as it is, this has to do with hygiene. Because the mixture of the fabric creates sweat. Right? He's protecting them. They're in a very, very hot environment. You're going to wear all wool? Wear all wool. You mix the fabric, and because of the temperature differences, your body reacts in an interesting way and will begin to sweat. God, God is simply saying, for this case, within the desert living of the nomadic tribes of the Bedouins, pure clothing. There are simple things, and there's probably a lot more to it but we don't want to create something out of this that isn't here. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? It's, it's so strange the way that people act in regard to the law. You know, I'm, I'm a cotton guy. I just, I can't, polyester drives me nuts. Just, just because of televangelists. You know, that's mostly, the, but anyway. You shall not wear a garment in different sorts. And again, this all fits under that same umbrella of, be not unequally yoked together. Now, um, I'll just try to do this last one as quick as I can. And we'll end with 12, hopefully. One cross-reference. You shall make tassels on the four corners of the clothing with which you cover yourself. So on the hem of their robe, four tassels. Now, within this, there's a greater explanation in the book of Numbers. So you might want to make note right there at verse 12 of Numbers 15, verses 38 and 39, where it says, Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look Upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. Okay, simply put something upon your garment that reminds you your Hebrew and you have God's law. It doesn't have to be that you would have the whole law with you all the time. It's something that is always with you that reminds you of it. Draws your mind back to it, right? You know, many of us have a cross. We wear as a necklace or, you know, it's hanging on our car mirror or, you know, something that forever draws our attention to I live by faith. I have a relationship with God. I am a born-again Christian. We have those anchor points. Now, I'll make a, a quick summary 
of something that occurred that extended way out past this. The nation of Israel went through a process, beginning with these tassels, to where if having a blue tassel or having a tassel with blue in it, wouldn't it be better to have a blue tassel? If the blue tassel was good, wouldn't more blue be better? Wouldn't it be better if I embroidered blue all the way around the hem of my robe? Wouldn't it be better if that blue border was really big so that I could see it very well? And you know what? Others could see it. And they would see and recognize, oh, there's a very religious Jew who's very prominent in reminding himself of his faith and the law of God and his obedience to the law. Stay with me on this because this is significant. It becomes a thing by the time Jesus arrives where now they're embroidering their family symbols. Oh, I'm a descendant of Dan. And, you know, the symbol of Dan is in the bottom. And the Levites, you know, they're the religious leaders. So Jesus has to say, don't be like these hypocrites who broaden the border of their garments. Remember that statement? This is what he was talking about. To be seen by men. Look, if you're deeply religious, deeply committed to Christ, that's a cool thing. But if you're carrying it around as some prideful emblem to show everybody else that you're more spiritual than everybody else, right? How about we give further explanation so you understand? Do we remember the story of Ruth? Moabitess, right? Not supposed to marry into the nation of Israel, but God allows her to come home with her mother-in-law. And she goes to Boaz in the middle of the night there. And what does she say to that man? Cover me with the hem of your robe. Why? Because his family lineage was embroidered in the hem of that robe. She was saying, that was a proposal. She's saying, include me in your family lineage. Marry me, is what she's saying. This was a deep thing for the Jews. What did the woman who had the issuance of the blood say? Oh, if I could just touch the hem of his robe. If I could make contact with his family lineage. This is the son of David, right? This is the Messiah, the son of God. I need to touch him. This, this remembrance right here became very prominent for the Jews. And I think that there's a beautiful example of both sides of this. We want to be very prominent in our remembrance and maybe even our symbology. But let's make sure it doesn't become a hypocritical symbol to be seen by men. It has to be our hearts. It cannot just be the outward symbol. You know, if the cross is hanging off your mirror... And you're cutting people off and blasting them the bird. <laughs> uh, you know, please take the cross off your mirror. <laughs> Don't go the other direction. I had a friend years ago, we got in this discussion, and he said, that's why I don't have any Christian bumper stickers on my car. I said, what do you mean? He said, because I drive like a heathen. 
I said, no, man, no, no. The, the answer is put them on your car and stop driving like a heathen. You can't, no. Do you understand what I'm saying to us in this room? Yeah, yeah. The, the Christian symbols and the ums are the good. And, and if they draw your mind back to your relationship with the Lord, that's a wonderful thing. But look, if that's all it is, that's a terrible thing. Even to the point where our Lord made very open rebuke of the religious leaders who behaved that way and said, do not be like, woe unto them, these hypocrites, right? Jesus never says, woe unto you, heathen, caught in the act of adultery, dragged out into the street naked, going to be stoned to death. Jesus doesn't have any condemnation for her. Doesn't have any condemnation for but He blasts the religious who are just full of themselves and making a show for the world while they live right there. They're plotting his death. They're plotting Jesus' murder as they walk around all pompous and arrogant and love to be greeted in the streets. Rabbi, oh yes, good afternoon. You know, consider, consider the self-application, right? And 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 what did we just read, right? you know, not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. If we're honest, if we're honest, there's a wickedness within us that we do need the reminder in our presence, physical reminder to say, hey, 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 who are you? What are you doing? Why are you behaving like that? We do need these reminders. But it can't just be that we've put the symbol up there and we're trying to show the world I'm a Christian when in fact the behavior isn't reflective of that at all. Amen? Amen. All right. So we'll pick up at verse 13 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. How about that? Please, even if you weren't considering staying, please stay, share a meal with us. We'll fellowship and get to know one another better. Father God, we thank you very much for your love and your grace in our lives, your word, Lord, its truthfulness, its accuracy. Help us to be men and women that are surrendered to your word, seeing at work in our lives. Accomplish what you want to. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.